Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me one like your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. This is the word of the Lord from Luke 15, 11 through 24. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. The ancient rabbis told a story in their Midrash about two men who were walking with Moses when the Red Sea was parted and they were walking through on the ground and everyone else was mesmerized by the amazing thing that God was doing and yet these two men walking behind Moses were complaining because their feet were getting muddy. And the rabbis would say, this is how we often are. We think so often only of ourselves even to the point that we fail to see the waters, uh, the walls of water on either side of us that God has raised up for our protection. And the only thing we can see instead, rather than the work of God, is all that we want for ourselves. Luke chapter 15, which has been called the gospel within the gospel, because Jesus tells three different parables in this chapter about something or someone being lost and then being found about something or someone that, that was headed down a dangerous path but was rescued, was redeemed, and brought back onto the path of life. And as he tells these parables, the occasion, Luke tells us, is that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law had been murmuring and muttering and complaining. Just like the ancient rabbis talked about, all the Pharisees could see were, were themselves. All the teachers of the law were concerned about was their own opinions and their own preferences. And they were blinded by the amazing 
work that was happening around them as God was revealing himself like he had never revealed himself before in Jesus Christ the Pharisees and the teachers of the law could only see themselves and so Jesus taught as he often did with parables he first talked about a good shepherd the true owner of the sheep that leaves behind 99 just to go out and find that one sheep that is lost and he tells the story of a woman who loses a precious coin in her home and in the middle of the night she lights a lamp and she gets on the floor and she searches feverishly until she finds that coin which was so valuable to her and then in this parable as Jesus rounds out the chapter he tells of a father with two sons now we often call this parable the parable of the prodigal son We'll talk about that in just a moment. It's one of the most well-known red-letter teachings that Jesus ever gave. But the way that the story starts is simply by saying there was a father and he had two sons. I happen to be a father with two sons. And I hope and pray that as a father of two sons, I'm raising them well, raising them right. I think the father, as is described in this parable, seems to be one who was committed to raising his sons in the right way. But as we know, even when we're committed to raising our children in the right way, it's not always a guarantee that one of them might not choose their own path. I think I have some evidence that I'm raising my two sons in the right way, not just because they were involved in worship today, but because last night they got home really late. And the reason they got home really late is because they went and watched Return of the Jedi on the 40-year anniversary of Return of the Jedi. We must be doing something right if our children like the 80s. If they like the 80s and things from the 80s, we're doing something right as parents. A father with two sons, and the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate, and we might add the word now here. Father, Give me my share of the estate now. What the younger son is saying to his father is far more than what we would imagine just as selfishness or entitlement. The son, the younger son, by demanding his share of the estate now is essentially saying to his father, I would be better off if you were dead. The way the Jewish community worked in the first century, families, they all built their homes together. The community in the ancient world of the Jewish people was called the insula. If you go to Israel today, you can, you can literally walk through these ancient homes, at least the foundations of them. And you can see the way the insula worked is that the community, the family, and their location, their geography, it all grew together. And instead of just having a plot of land where maybe one family lived here and another family lived here, at the center of the land was the father's home. And as the family began to grow, attached to the father's home, they would build the son's home. And then later on, attached to the son's home, they would build the grandson's home. And the family would literally grow with each house, each home, connected together. And when you go to Israel today and you walk through the ancient insulas, you are going square by square through a family's estate. The younger son is saying to his father, I don't want to live with you. I don't want your love anymore. I don't want to be a part of this family. I don't want the responsibilities that come with the insula. I want my share of the estate now, and I would be better off 
if you were dead. Because that's when a son would get his share of the estate, when his father passed away. And yet amazingly, the father honors his son's request. And he not only gave the younger son his share of the inheritance, but he divided his property as if he were dead. He divided his property between them. And we know that in the parable there are two sons, there are two brothers. At this moment, the older brother is off stage. Next week, we'll talk about him. Next week, he'll come into the picture more. This morning, we're just talking about the younger brother. And when his father divided his property between them, clearly he went and sold what belonged to him so that he could take his proceeds and as we read in the next part of the text, leave his father, leave his family, choose separation over relationship. Choose his own selfish and sinful desires and pleasure over his father's love and to move off to a distant country and waste his blessings there. What followed for the younger son wasn't pretty. He ultimately is going to face consequences as we all face consequences if we reject the father's love. We all face consequences if we choose our own sinful path. And the consequences that the younger son faces in the next part of the story are because he rejected the father. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had. What is all that he had? Well, it's the gifts that his father gave him. Everything that he had was the result of the generosity of his loving and giving father. And yet what the younger son did was take those things and instead of using them for the good of his family, instead of using them in a way that brought, brought good repute onto his father's name, he squandered everything. How often are we, rather than being focused on how we can use the gifts that God has given us for his glory and for things that are good and matter and will last forever, how often are we instead only focused on the gifts we want and the gifts we don't yet have? We are oftentimes like the younger son was perhaps when we get what we want, we're still not happy and we want more and we want it now. The younger son took all that he had, all that his father had given to him, and he moved away. He set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth. And some of your translations might use a different phrase here. The NIV says he squandered his wealth in wild living. The actual word here in Greek has some really deep meaning to it. At the root of the word is the word for being saved. It's the word for salvation. But the Greek that Jesus uses here as it's recorded by Luke has the alpha, the Greek letter alpha at the beginning, which means it negates everything in the word. In other words, it's the opposite of what the root of that word means. So what the younger son was pursuing were not those things that bring life, not those things that lead to salvation, but what the younger son squandered his wealth on were things that drain the life out of a person. Not the things that lead to life, but the things that lead to death. Not the things that lead to salvation, but the things that lead to destruction. And the younger son, as he rejected his father's love, also clearly rejected his father's teaching. 
and his wise counsel. And he squandered everything he had on things that drained the life out of his soul. After he had spent everything, which by the way, that's what the word prodigal means. We often think from this story that the word prodigal means something like one who's gone astray or maybe even someone who's come back. But actually what the word prodigal means is just to spend everything recklessly. And after he had spent everything prodigally, recklessly, a severe famine happened to occur in that whole country, the region where he was staying. Famines were common in the ancient world, and when there was a famine, everyone was affected by it. Now, there are still lots of famines that happen in the world today, but, but most of us, not all of us, but most of us are not that affected by them. We, we might experience a rise in prices or something like that, but most of us are not affected by famine like people in the ancient world were or even people in other parts of the world are today. In this situation, a famine would affect everyone and the son having already spent everything he had now finds himself in desperate need the word here means something like our phrase he found himself at the end of his rope but rather than returning to his father in repentance rather than going back home and placing himself under his father's love and care once again the younger son came up with another idea and he went out and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country which obviously was a gentile country and was a gentile citizen because he had pigs and the son was sent out to the field of the citizen of that country to feed the man's pigs the most unclean of all of the animals in the jewish mind the church father ambrose argued that perhaps jesus meant here by the citizen of another country the devil himself because ambrose says look look at what ends up happening he he sold his soul to the devil and he paid the price as the old farmer said if you wallow with pigs be careful because the pigs like it and you get dirty in the process the younger son was not only wallowing with pigs he was jealous of them he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the the pigs were eating the pods filled with garbage and trash and leftovers and refuse he longed to fill his stomach with even the pods that the pigs ate and yet no one gave him anything the younger son sought pleasure but he found pain one ancient christian said he wished for freedom but he found bondage and to the hebrew mind this would have been memories of wandering in the wilderness or even worse than that, it would have called to mind exile. What it looks like to be removed from your home, to find yourself in a distant land, and to be ruled over by your enemies. To where it's not just that you can't worship as you want to worship, but you are forced on a daily basis to be surrounded by that which is unclean, impure, and defiles. And that's where the younger son found himself. Just in case the Pharisees and the teachers of the law had doubted that Jesus had a strong doctrine against sin, if part of their criticism of him was that 
he was eating with tax collectors and sinners and spending time with them and he wasn't willing to call out sin and evil here that's clearly not the case because Jesus makes it clear that sin and selfishness only leads to emptiness and destruction and that there are consequences from rejecting the father's love and the father's word in fact if the parable ended right here the pharisees likely would have been delighted they would have said we love this story look at this young man who rejected his father's love who rejected the ways of his people and he faced the consequence he paid the price he he got what he deserved and don't we often have a tendency to think the same way we long for other people to get what they deserve we want others to face justice and to face the consequences for the things they do wrong especially if they do wrong to us but when we're the ones who do wrong we pray for mercy and we beg for grace the pharisees might have been delighted if the story ended here but thanks be to god just like the parables of the lost sheep and the lost coin jesus had something else in mind in a way that's very different from those other parables there's a turning point that involves the one who is lost taking an action taking a step that triggers the moment when the story turns with the lost sheep there was nothing that the lost sheep could do to to be found the shepherd had to go out and find the sheep who had no ability to to come back to safety on its own with the coin the coin was obviously an inanimate object it had no ability to be found itself the woman had to light a lamp she had to search on the ground and, and find the lost coin but in this case there's something that happens with the one who is lost the younger son that makes this a turning point in the story and as jesus presents it here in verse 17 it came when he came to his senses i love the way this first part was translated in the london polyglot bible of the 1600s rather than saying he came to his senses the the london polyglot bible says he got smart when he got smart when he came to his senses he said how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare and yet here i am starving to death clearly his father was such a generous man yet here i am starving to death and so his plan his next plan was to come home and make a speech i almost feel like he's rehearsing his speech here probably he rehearsed it several times and following his speech he would ask his father to make him like a hired worker like a craftsman who at least gets paid for his work it's not a word that means a slave it's not a word that just means a servant but at least i could be like one of my father's hired hands and whatever work i get in i'll get paid and i'll no longer be jealous of the pigs who surround me i will set out and i'll go back to my father and i will say to him father i have sinned against heaven and against you and i am no longer worthy to be called your son so make me like one of your hired servants because even the lowest among the father's hired workers was far better off than the younger son now found himself to be you know i wonder why why did the younger son not return to his father immediately why wasn't that his first move 
when he found himself in trouble, when he was facing the consequences of rejecting his father's love, why didn't he go back to his father first? Probably for many of the same reasons that we don't turn to God first, even though we should. Sometimes it's our pride. And the younger son still seems to be thinking here, I can figure this out on my own. I can solve my problems in my own way. It didn't work out for me when I squandered my money. It didn't work out for me when I hired myself out. But at least maybe, maybe this plan will work and I can be a hired worker in my father's house. Sometimes we don't turn to the father first because of shame. We're, we're, we feel like we're not worthy. We feel like because we know just how filthy we are in our sinfulness and our brokenness that, that God won't welcome us back. And it's our shame that keeps us from turning to him. There are lots of reasons why we don't turn to God first, but the younger son, at least in my view, still doesn't quite yet seem to be ready to receive his father's love. My alma mater is Oklahoma Baptist University. I know we have some bison in the room. Thank you, for, by the way, for praying for OBU because uh, our campus was hit by a tornado uh, a little over a week ago, and, and things were looking sort of bleak. But we are so thankful that the students get to go back in person tomorrow and they get to finish the semester in person. That truly is a miracle, and we're so thankful that God has provided that and answered our prayers. So thank you for your prayers and support for OBU. But one of the, the newest programs that OBU has is called the Prison Divinity Program. It's been going for a couple of years now in Lexington, Oklahoma at the Correctional Center there. And if you know about Lexington, it is a maximum security prison. And most of the men who are there are never going to get out. They're going to spend their entire life in prison. And the Prison Divinity Program is more than just a prison ministry. It's more than just preaching to those who are in prison. We actually have prisoners in the Lexington Correctional Center who are getting their seminary-level degrees because they have felt called into ministry. And most of those men, the only opportunity they're going to have to practice ministry is going to be in prison. So their ministry for the rest of their lives is going to be to, to their other prisoners. But anytime someone comes back from that prison divinity program, whether it's from a service or from a graduation, they always describe those men who are getting their degrees as the most genuine and authentic Christians you've ever met in your life. And why is that? It's because everything that they've done wrong has already been laid bare. Everyone knows that, that, they've, that they are well-known sinners. Everyone knows about their failures. They've been called out. They've been accused. They've been prosecuted. They've been convicted. And they're facing the consequences for the things they've done wrong for everyone else to see. And because of that, there are no pretenses. There are no masks. They don't hold back when they sing. They don't hold back when they proclaim the truth of God's word. They are all out there for everyone to see. And they wear all of their emotions and they wear all of their heart on their sleeves for people to see. And it's an amazing thing that happens when God strips us down like that. And we find ourselves so aware of our brokenness before him that we have nothing else left to do but to turn to the Father and say, have mercy on me, I am a sinner. Those men in Lexington are, are living pictures of God's grace. 
and of God's love. And I'm not sure as we think about the son here at this turning point whether or not his repentance is real yet. Maybe he's just preparing this speech and and going to try to convince his father using flattering words. But in the last part of the story, it's the father's love that takes center stage in the parable. And we see God presented as a loving and forgiving father who is looking down the road every day, lovingly awaiting his son's return. When the son got up and went to his father, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. That in itself is such an important part not to skip over, that the father sees us, and that he saw his younger son even with all that his son had done wrong and all the rejection that the father had faced, he saw him, and when he saw him, he was filled with what? With compassion. Jesus uses the same word here in Luke 15 that he used in Luke 10 to describe the good Samaritan and what he felt when he saw the injured man on the side of the road. This word, compassion, was meant to be yet another stinging Rebuke to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who were complaining and criticizing and murmuring and muttering about the fact that Jesus cared about the lost and that he was being the good shepherd that they had failed to be. The father had compassion on his son. And rather than bringing up anything that had happened in the past, his father did what, what even today Middle Eastern men don't do in public. He ran He ran to his son and he threw his arms around him and he kissed him and he welcomed him home. The son said to the father just as he had planned, verse 21, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But what I see here is not so much that prepared speech but actual repentance how else could the son respond to such great love from his father that when he saw this forgiveness when he saw this welcome listen when he saw that his father was not just interested in welcoming him but in initiating this was also looking for reconciliation that the separation would be healed that the brokenness would be fixed that their relationship which was wrong would be made right again and the way the son helps make this happen the role that he plays is through genuine repentance which is a word that we've said recently we can't say enough it's what god requires from all of us when we become aware when we are broken down and see that we have sinned against him, we have rejected the Father's love, and we have chosen to go our own way. All that God requires is the same thing we see in the younger son, repentance. Where we say to him, Lord, I am aware of the fact that I have sinned against you. I'm aware of the fact that I am not right with you. And I confess my sinfulness before you, And along with that confession comes this commitment that I am going to turn away from this path of sin and destruction I've been on, and I'm going to turn towards you and walk the path of obedience again. 
Repentance is not just about words. It's about walking and, and being faithful again. Lord, I realize in my sinfulness that I have not been pursuing holiness. I realize in my sinfulness that I have not been seeking justice. I've not been seeking your righteousness. And so I turn away, Lord, and, and today, whether for the first time or again, I give you my whole heart and my whole life, and I choose to live in my Father's loving arms once again. Father, I have sinned against you. And, and this is the second time that the younger son says, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. It feels like the, that's what the younger son assumes his father thinks about him. You're no longer worthy to be called my son. But that's not true, is it? And maybe you've had the same feelings. Maybe you've thought that, that you're not worthy. Maybe you need to, to rethink today the way you view God's view of you and God's love for you. That even in brokenness and even in sin, when we turn to him in repentance, he says to us, you are worthy because I've made you worthy. And you are not a hired hand. You are not a servant. You are a son. You are a daughter. And God welcomes us back through Jesus Christ just as the Father does here. I love what Henry Nouwen said. Not only does the father forgive without asking question and joyfully welcome his lost son home, but he cannot wait to give him new life, life in abundance. Jesus said in John 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Just like the devil leads others to wallow with the pigs in the mud. But I have come, Jesus said, that they may have life and they may have it to the full. I love what another ancient Christian said. The father treats the younger son as though he had never left in the first place. Just as scripture tells us God takes our sin and he casts it away as far away as the east is from the west. So great is the father's love for us. And maybe today you need to hear that to reshape your understanding of what the Father thinks of you. That neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Maybe you need to hear today that God loves the world and loves you so much that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but will have life life to the full everlasting life that's what god thinks of you that's how much he loves us and he welcomes us home as children he does like the father does for the son here he adorns us with clothing that says we're family he puts a robe on his son, which signals honor. He puts a ring on him, which signals responsibility. You are a part of this family again. And he puts sandals on his feet that restore his dignity. You're my child. I love you. Welcome home. The very things about which the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were complaining were the very purposes for which Jesus came into the world. 
The father treats his son like a son. And then they celebrate. Bring a fattened calf. This is a very special occasion and kill it. Let's have a feast and let's celebrate. And why are they celebrating? Because there has been a new birth. There is life once again. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Let's celebrate. Just like with the lost sheep, just like with the lost coin, when one sinner repents and comes back home, there is rejoicing in heaven. And listen, it is God's joy. That's how we celebrate. And the life that Jesus has promised us is one that follows with the same theme that we see throughout Scripture, that heaven, that the end of the age when Jesus returns, when we experience the fullness of, of his kingdom together, it's going to be like a great feast. It's going to be like a great banquet. But instead of a robe, we will be clothed with that which is incorruptible and will never fade. Instead of a ring, we will share in treasures untold in the presence of our Father. Instead of sandals, our feet will be covered with the peace of God forever. And instead of an earthly meal, we will dine together at a great banquet in heaven, for which for all of us there is a seat, if we will only be willing to repent and to come back to the arms of our loving Father. I want you to bow your heads with me as we have our time of invitation today, our time of response. And I want to begin this time as I pray with a communion prayer of old that reminds us of the words of Jesus' story of the younger son. Father of all, we give you thanks and praise that when we were still far off, you met us in your son and brought us home. Lord, we thank you for the red letters, the words of Jesus, that help us see most clearly how much you love us and how you have modeled for us what holiness, justice, righteousness, faithfulness looks like as we follow you. Lord, I pray today for the person who feels closer to you than they've ever been and for the person who feels far away that each and every one of us today, Lord, would, would take another step in following you. And I pray for that person today that might need to just lay themselves bare before you and say, God, here I am. I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I've rejected your love. I know that I've been going my own way. And Lord, would you help that person to know if they're willing to truly open them, their hearts, open themselves, surrender to you today, would you help them to know how you see them, that you love them, that you welcome them home, and that you have great purposes and plans for their life? Lord, we need you. We desperately need you. You are our only hope. May we choose life today. And Lord, may we pursue those things that bring life to us and life to others. And Lord, as we've lifted up the name of Jesus today, may we look to the cross. Would you draw people to you in Jesus' name? Amen.